we ended up raising again um, in sort of April of 2019, so pretty quickly. That was partly because the, the investment from Stelios was more of a, enough to just build an MVP. Um, and then I was keen to, yeah, try and raise some more money pretty promptly so we could sort of build out from there, have some money for, for our marketing campaigns and whatnot and start hiring a few people. So we ended up, um, yeah, had a few meetings with Startup Funding Club in London. Um, they focus primarily on SEIS investments and they've also got an EIS fund, I believe. Hello and welcome to the Digital Spaceship Podcast, a marketing journal hosted by Blue Drop Studio co-founder Anna Rowinska and myself, Omar Juman. This podcast has one vision, and that is to educate, inform, and inspire others who are trying to build their tech brand. Tune in and listen to us chat ideation, marketing, scaling, and everything in between with up-and-coming entrepreneurs, stakeholders, and investors in tech startups across the world. We'll be diving into the details and also hearing about the journey. So without further ado, let's jump into this week's episode. In this episode, we're speaking with Blake, founder and CEO at EasyGuide. EasyGuide is a Startup 100 company for 2020 and are enabling locals and tourists alike to discover and book tickets to attractions, activities, experiences and theatre shows in 49 cities around the world. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another show of the Digital Spaceship podcast. Uh, today, we're talking to Blake from Easy Guide. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us, about Blake. Tell us uh, a little bit about what you guys do over at Easy Guide and uh, give us a background on yourself. Sure. Well, thank you for having me today. And cool. um, yeah, Easy Guide, we launched last year. Uh, you may recognize the, the, the bright orange branding and logo. So yeah, we share the same brand as EasyJet and Easy Hotel, um, but we focus purely on selling tickets to attractions, activities, experiences, tours, and theatre shows. Um, we were just in London, but we are now in sort of forty-nine cities around the world. Wow, that's really really cool. Yeah. Um, so let's jump into a, you know a little bit about how you came up with the idea because I understand there's a bit of a story um, and background to that, and also how you guys. Um, became part of the the easy family of brands um so yeah tell us a bit about that yeah so i suppose um it was really a case of traveling around europe for a number of years myself for business and pleasure um and often flying with easyjet and then when you get to your destination it seemed as though um that was really the end of the customer experience with them and for me as a case of when i go to new city i want to see all the museums and galleries and things to do um, so, yeah, it was a case of wanting to to get back to London and put that together, create something that um, yeah enabled people to really go to a new city, put together the pieces, and, and travel with uh, without any pain points along the way. For myself, I graduated from Cass Business School in 2012, mm -hmm. and that's where Sir Stelios, who's the founder of EasyJet, he also went to uh, university many years ago. And he was my um, my mentor since then, essentially. Oh. So it made very logical sense to reach out to him with this idea. And um, when I did, he was keen to discuss it in more detail and eventually offer me sort of the, the easy branding to go with it. Um, so yeah, it was a case of once I got told of that news, I was ready to to make that sort of next step and yeah, take it more than a business plan and, and really give it a go. 
Absolutely. So when did, uh, you know, you first have the idea and, and how long did it take until, you know, this, this became re a real thing? So the idea was actually in, uh, it was a, a trip to Rome. I think I was there for maybe two or three days. And uh, the person I was with was determined to try and cram everything uh, Rome <laughs> had to offer in those two or three days. And we, we faced so many stumbling points. Um, I think we, we spent sort of half an hour making our way to some museum. And we got there and they told us that they've already sold all their tickets for the day. Mm -hmm. um, so things like that, um, that, that was sort of the, the real, um, I suppose, uh, light bulb moment, if you will. But yeah, um, that, was, that was the opportunity uh, then. And then, um, so that was a case of probably late 2018. Um, yeah, I started speaking to Sir Stelios the end of that year and we signed our agreement January 2019. Um, wow. Yeah, so he provided a bit of startup capital, the brand license agreement. Um, with that, we got a bit of office space um, and a bit of sort of general support along the way as well. Yeah, really cool. And so you mentioned um, in there sort of with the, the I guess, some of the, the smart money that comes along with um, Sir Aphelios. Stelios. Estelios, sorry. Um, yeah, I, I guess some of the smart money that comes along with him and the EasyJet brand is uh, essentially, I suppose, a lot of mentorship. There's there's a lot of extra things that come along with that. So, you know, when you first had the idea, did you really think that, okay, we're actually, I, I would love to have a partner on this that can that can help me mentor and, and go through this process? Or, or was it just like purely from a, a financial point of view? Um, to be perfectly honest, he, he's, he's fairly, he's, yeah, more than fairly hands off. Mm -hmm. He's not, um, in the game of, of sort of, yeah, really sort of mentoring and managing things himself. So, um, as much as it would probably have been useful to have a, a sort of someone guide you along that journey, mm -hmm. um, it has there have been sort of a lot of lessons for us, uh, just learning our way to get going. So, um, yeah, we haven't really had that sort of mentorship. Uh, to help us along the way but um, I'd say that nonetheless we've done well with just learning as we go mm -hmm. um, you can learn from people who you've never met before but they're just very curious about your business um, yeah. people who have worked in the industry for many years um, it probably does help because of the brand as well when people see the brand enter, enter their sector they're very interested to sort of hear what, what's really going on and what your plans are mm -hmm. um, so we have had a lot of people reach out um, sort of simply through LinkedIn or just going to various meetups. Um, and and they, yeah, they're, they're great to give you sort of a bit of advice along the way. And the best thing is they don't really expect anything in return. They're generally just there to give you a bit of help and a bit of advice. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and has that been, or I guess, you know, since you guys have um, had this investment from the end of, is it January 2019? Yeah, so that was the, that was the first of a few investments we've had so far. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. And what other investment rounds have you guys gone through? So, we ended up raising again um, in sort of April of 2019. So pretty quickly. That was partly because the the investment from Stelios was more of a enough to just build an MVP. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then I was keen to yeah try and raise some more money pretty promptly so we could sort of build out from there have some money for, for our marketing campaigns and whatnot and start hiring a few people. Mm -hmm. So we ended up um, 
yeah, had a few meetings with Startup Funding Club in London. Mm-hmm. Um, they focus primarily on SEIS investments, and they've also got an EIS fund, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they were sort of our first institutional investor. Um, and then that saw us through up until February uh, this year. Yes. And then we actually secured a further investment, um, our largest investment to date in February. And we've actually just closed another round last week as well. Wow, incredible. Was it, was it tough getting that last round through considering everything happening in the world at the moment? Or was it? I mean, it's, it's tough to raise money for any startup, yeah. <laughs> let alone um, a travel startup during a global pandemic. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so, that was a challenge. Well, congratulations on that. That sounds like a, a really difficult feat, but I'm um, glad to hear you guys overcame it. Um, so, all right, I've got the picture of you guys um, being able to uh, build an MVP um, around January 2019. When did you actually, uh, or how long between you know, receiving that initial investment and, and having a ready MVP to go to market um, was there? So I suppose when I received that, well, once we signed the agreement and we received the initial capital in January, I'd already have, I've got the business plan ready to go. I've got sort of the team ready to go in my head anyway. Um, so we were able to get going pretty quick and we got building straight away. And I think it did take us up until sort of uh, early August to actually launch the product. Yeah. Um, so a little longer than expected, um, but there were a few headaches along the way. So part of, well, um, yeah, part of the issue was the fact that we, ended up choosing a tech team or development team, which was a recommendation. Um, and they were based in India. Mm. Um, we went for them because they seemed well, they, they were the most cost effective solution to get the MVP out. Um, but there, there seemed, I guess, in hindsight, to be reasons why they were the most cost effective solution. Yeah. Um, so there was, there were delays. Um, the products, even the MVP was not quite what we needed. Mm-hmm. So eventually we had to sort of um, come back to what was initially our first choice of developers. Sure. And then they had to tidy things up and then we went live. So we were probably delayed, unfortunately, by sort of a couple of months because of mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Cool. Um, I think that's, yeah, that's definitely a, quite a tough lesson to learn, especially when you guys are pushing for that, um, I guess, first MVP to go to market. But um, I suppose at least the brand wasn't up and running and it wasn't a new product launch. So silver linings, I suppose. Um, Absolutely, yeah. Cool. So after having launched then, um, you know, how long did it take you? I, I understand you worked with a development team and they were an external partner at that point. Um, but, you know, from launch, what did your internal structure look like and, and how long um, did it take you to start building out these internal departments? So worth clarifying, I suppose, that I'm, I am a solo founder. Mm-hmm. with no technical expertise so I, yes. I don't develop i don't develop the platform myself absolutely um so my role has been it's been pretty busy but i i suppose that's what anyone expects of a startup they always say expect to wear many hats and yes. um and i i think i've really done just that so yeah, I've, I've helped oversee the development um but in terms of yeah recruitment marketing fundraising sales um accounting that's all been myself so um wow. yeah there's been <laughs> a, lot a lot of hats <laughs> yeah there's a lot of hats um 
I suppose in terms of really building out the team, though, that, that's been down to, um, yeah, coming down just to hiring the right people, um, which is tough in itself. And it's especially tough when you're, you're starting to recruit people and it's a team of one. Yes. So you have to try and, it's hard to find the right person who wants to comfortably sit in an office with one other person mm-hmm. um, and, and really try and see things grow from there. Uh, mm-hmm. That's pretty tough. I think yeah. what I found is um, it's, it's so essential to get people to really to buy into you yes. and your idea, but not even just your idea, but the execution of it as well. Because mm-hmm. um, that, that's obviously just as important as having the idea is actually executing what you say you're going to do. Yeah, definitely. So, okay, cool. So I imagine you work primarily with external partners at the moment for, you know, that help you manage all of those different parts of the business to get this machine up and running. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, we've got, um, we've got sort of a team of developers who are actually now based in Russia. Mm-hmm. Um, they seem to be very good for us. Um, the latest funding is actually to bring some of this in-house mm-hmm. um, and the same with our marketing teams as well. We're looking to bring more of that in-house as well. Okay, interesting. So um, up until this point then, let's touch on the marketing. Um, you know, you guys, uh, I guess you've been working with external partners. Um, how has that relationship looked like and, and what type of marketing have you guys been doing up until this point? So relationship-wise, I think it's we've actually dealt with um, through two different agencies well one one and a half different agencies <laughs> um, and I think it's it's kind of like um, almost like a recruitment process for the for employees too reaching out to various um, agencies I mean they all look and sound great on their websites and I mean the things they say are, are probably fairly similar mm-hmm. um, so it does come down to sort of the execution of that as well yeah, I think actually one one part that, or what the reason why there was half an agency was because they they neglected to tell me until I really pushed them just how much of the the ad spend they would be retaining for themselves. Oh my god! Um, so th- this was actually a little bit new to me. I didn't I didn't re- realize this was quite how they they made sort of their their fee structure. Sure. Um, so there's a sort of a retainer fee, and then on top of that, they'd also keep some of the uh, the ad spend every every month themselves. Okay. And when they finally told me after sort of um, a lot of back and forth emails, they said they were going to retain fifty percent of the ad spend. Oh, wow. um, and it wasn't even on a scaling level. So even if we spent ten thousand pounds this month, and then twenty thousand pounds the next month, they still retain fifty percent for themselves. Wow. So that was a little bit of a. a, a huge frustration and that's why there's half an agency there um, yeah and we've moved on to somebody else yeah yeah fair enough um oh that sounds like a bit of a horror story i'm sorry to hear that um it's not They're nice quite a to... big name as well so i was yeah. very surprised when they actually told me <laughs> um yeah it's a tough one i guess it's such a competitive space at the moment there's certainly there's so many agencies out there um, that you can, you know, there's, there's tons of partners and a lot of people who are eager to work. And I'm sure with an idea like this, you know, it's not going to be too difficult to, to start building out that internal team. Um, but looking or shifting the focus towards, you know, okay, I understand that you had an agency and you've mentioned about ad spend. So that means you guys must have been doing some uh, paid advertisement across digital um, what channels um, were you utilizing and were you running any sort of like specific campaigns or um, how did that look like? So I suppose that there are various different 
levels of the sort of the marketing funnel that we can enter at mm-hmm. we can start with as a very simple level just things to do in london for example yeah. and then we can go all the way down to sort of those with more intense um so tickets to madame two swords today mm-hmm. um so we really started because we just launched in london um as sort of the mvp we were we just had to focus on london obviously and the london products um and we worked our way through the funnel um whether that's through google ads for, for certain terms like i just said there mm-hmm. um retargeting um on social social media platforms mm-hmm. and then expanding that audience that was sort of the initial um strategy i suppose from the outset as well as building out our seo co- seo content mm-hmm. um but now when we relaunch probably fairly near term we are keen to sort of explore the route of uh, influencers as well mm-hmm. um and we've also got sort of an affiliate partnership running as well we've sort of got 300 300 partners working with us to sort of get the word out about our website and incredible yeah cool so jumping into branding now this is going to be an interesting one because i know you guys have essentially adopted a lot of the the easy jet um branding identity um so tell us a little bit about how that works because you know usually we dive into um at what stage did you come up with the brand so talk about things like branding identity and uh branding messaging um but with you guys how did how did that work yeah, I mean, we're, we're definitely in a slightly more unusual situation in the sense that we literally have a, a brand guidebook to follow. Mm-hmm. So we haven't had to create a logo or imagery or anything like that. Um, in case we just have to stick to certain rules. Yeah. Um, so I suppose the, the real difficulty or the bit we really have to focus on is just um, making sure we stick to the right messaging, um, which really for us, it's about sort of value for money, yeah. um, making sure we're, I think they always like to say for the many, not the few. Yes. Um, so that's really what the brand's about. And I think the best part is um, Easy Group in the sense of Easy Jays, the hotel and the other companies, they serve over 100 million customers already every mm-hmm. year in a normal year. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So we have that huge advantage. And it, so it's not so much about building the brand, but it's about leveraging the brand for us, making sure we are in front of those 100 million customers. Yeah. And whenever they think about sort of let's say flying to Rome later in the year um, and they want to go visit the Colosseum we have a tour of the Vatican um, the first people they think of is easy guide to to get those tickets yeah so that's what we've really been focusing on more than actually building a brand yeah yeah okay I guess in in some ways that's a positive and in others a negative it's a bit of a um, I guess there's two sides to that coin upon adopting the the EasyJet brand, but I think that it's it's actually really in a in a time like this where everything is so competitive, being able to lean on that slightly um, from a strategic point of view is is probably incredibly beneficial to you guys, um, especially considering that this uh, this travel space is just so saturated at the moment. I feel uh, how are you guys? Um, you know, how do you feel that the landscape is? Do you think that there's there's space there at the moment to to grow and expand? For other companies or for us? I guess both. I think for other companies, I, I think the market is far too saturated. Yeah. Um, I mean, without the easy branding and sort of everything that comes with that, um, I don't think there would be an easy guide here. Yeah. Um, 
it doesn't really make any sense. I mean, there's there's some good players out there, and as you say, yeah, it's a fairly saturated market. So, unless you have some sort of competitive advantage, um, I don't think it's the right industry to be jumping into and just hoping you can pick up some of the uh, piece of the pie, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, for us, I think with with the the leverage of the brand and as I say, the sort of hundred million customers that are already there, um, that gives us a, a very healthy advantage, um, and. I mean, as an example of a way we can leverage that, we can look at introducing loyalty schemes for our platform, yeah. which our competitors do have. Um, but when it comes to our customers redeeming um, their sort of loyalty points, we want to make sure they can actually redeem them on the likes of EasyJet holiday products as well as yeah. easy guide products. And that's, uh, that, that's something our competitors just can't do. Yeah, yeah, that's actually a really powerful card to play i think um have you guys implemented that that loyalty scheme yet or is it still to be built this is the next uh that's sort of what one of the things that the developers are currently working on ah awesome um so in terms of um because we spoke a little bit about the marketing activity that you guys do um and you mentioned a variety of different parts of the funnel in which or essentially the customer journey um, in terms of actually booking out maybe some tickets in London Um, you know so do you guys do a lot of uh, content creation because I understand you know within the the travel space and hospitality space content is a and when I say content I mean like writing articles writing reviews um, you know recording videos and filming things sticking that out on social media and your blog um, and do you guys do much of that content creation game? So we, we've done a limited amount of it mm. um, up until now. But yeah, this sort of this next stage of hiring to bring a few things in-house, it's really going to focus on just that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, our focus for over the coming sort of yeah, quarters is to really grow our organic traffic. Absolutely. And a lot yeah. of that is going to come from, from yeah, what you mentioned there, sort of writing up blog posts, things to do and maybe not sort of just broad terms like things to do in London or things to do in Paris, but more niche terms and um, find some gaps where, where the content's a little bit lighter out there. Mm. And uh, one thing I would like to actually ask about um, here is, so in terms of content creation, as you said, that's something you guys will be looking into um, and actually working with a brand guy that's already there. I imagine it's quite a thick one as well, because there's probably quite a lot of information now. It can be a blessing, it can be a, a curse in some way. So um, going forward, is there a scope for flexibility on that? Do you guys see this as, okay, you have this foundation of the easy group as a brand, but obviously there's going to be maybe some avenues you're going to have to explore, like fully editorial content, you know, specifically tailored to different platforms um, or content approach. So is there flexibility to develop this brand further to make it more easy guide and the easy group? Or is that just going to be strictly sticking to what's in the book and following those guides in the future? Well, I think it's really a case of sticking to it because, I mean, the, primer- the primary company that people recognize is EasyJet. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's actually just fallen out of the FTSE 100, but it's still one of the largest companies in the UK. Um, so I, I don't think we need to really sort of look into expanding the brand. Um, it's just a case of sticking to it. So as I say, we, we wouldn't want to find ourselves trying to offer sort of luxury packages 
Mm-hmm. Um, that's just not what um, the brand is here and what it's about. Um, so I think, yeah, it's probably a case of just sticking to the brand. Um, and I do think it's the power of the brand that we're really here for anyway. So I don't think yeah. we really want to amend it in the, in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some great stats. I think it's something like 90 to 100% of people in Europe recognize the brand. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, it's one of the Pretty most recognizable travel <laughs> brands. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think for, for certainly for now and probably the medium term, we're here just to sort of stick with it and, and just leverage it more than anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. So, um, what does uh, scaling look like for you guys then in the future? And when I say scaling, I mean, you know, how do you guys plan to grow? What does that growth success look like? Yeah, I mean that that's I mean that's definitely a well, that's probably a. A long conversation with sort of a lot of Excel sheets, but yeah. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's a case that we need to sort of categorize things into different cities, and then within each of the cities, you'd have teams who can manage everything there. Yeah. Um, so that that's going to our forecast for that is actually going to be sort of Q4 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, we're not quite there yet. Uh, we want to spend sort of the next 12 months or so. Um, scaling up to a certain extent but not not sort of uh, to the full scale up stage anyway mm-hmm. uh, awesome. but definitely exciting time and i think this next phase for us where we've gone from one city to sort of 40 50 cities around the world that's going to be the next real challenge for us um to ensure that uh we yeah at least try and get a lot of those cities to work ultimately yeah. not all of them will be successful um but at least the ones that uh, that are successful we double down on yeah, definitely. Um, and so you've mentioned sort of this international expansion and, and also the, the loyalty um, reward plan that you guys uh, intend to offer. What else is, is on the roadmap for you guys in the, the coming months? So I suppose one key part that we're, we're keen to start implementing, it's um, w- when we take um, bookings from each of our customers, we learn a lot, of, a lot about them. So mm-hmm. as an example, if, if um, we get a book from Madame Tussauds in London, we can see quite clearly sort of what uh, age bracket you fall into and what sort of demographic and ultimately what your, your customer persona is. Um, so if you were, if we saw sort of a purchase come through for two adults and two children, it's fair to say it's a family going to Madame Tussauds and um, everything's sort of time allocated now too. So mm-hmm. if we see that you're going around midday or even sort of 11 a.m., uh, we know you're going to be there for about 60 to 90 minutes. So what we want to do is use that information to provide you with um, more useful deals and ideas whilst you're in the area once you're finished. So if you were to enter sort of 11, you'd probably finish just after midday. Um, So your family might be quite keen to go for a nice lunch nearby. So we'll send you recommendations and deals on family lunches within sort of a five minute radius of, of Madame Tussauds, for example. Yeah, wicked. So the implementation of potential like AI suggestions, algorithmic suggestions and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah that's that's really cool. I think that's a really useful feature to have, actually. Um, it's definitely, I guess it's taking it one step further from that actual booking um, and keeping more of focusing more of the, the experience as a whole rather than just that few hours of the day type of thing you know that's really cool absolutely I, so I like it doesn't make a huge amount of sense for us to sell tickets to madame two swords and then send you a recommendation to go to the tower of london straight after i mean you're yeah. gonna get tired and you're gonna get hungry so let's let's fill that gap first yeah wicked awesome so 
before we wrap, wrap it up, um, what would be really cool is if we could, you know, dive into your journey, let's say over the past few years um, of, of, you know, starting up and coming up with this idea and, and working um, to get funding and then actually turning this and building this product, um, which is being leveraged all across London and soon to be internationally as well. Um, you know, what are, what are some of the bits of advice that you could give um, to maybe someone else who's standing in your shoes three years ago, for example, or maybe it's someone who's already, you know, building out a company and they just want to hear um, some words of advice from someone who's a bit further down the journey than they are. Yeah, I, I suppose the first point that really springs to mind is if you are a founder and CEO, you are really there to, to, to get people to buy into you. Um, so that's, I suppose, on one hand, it's investors. You need to make sure they buy into you and your idea, your vision, um, and your ability to actually execute the plan to get there. Mm-hmm. Equally, you need, um, need employees to buy into you, especially if you're a solo founder and your team is one. Yes. As I said earlier, getting, getting that sort of first person to sit in the room of two is incredibly tough. So the way they'll do that is if they really buy into you and the idea again and achieving those goals. Um, and the same can be said for sort of the people you work with on an operational side. So even on, de- on sort of a development side, you want a development team that believe in you and believe what they're working on is a good idea. Otherwise, um, the sort of the, the real interest won't really be there from them. Yeah. So I think that that's probably my first key point is just uh, make sure that if you're the founder and CEO, you're, one of your main roles is that people buy into you, um, the idea and your ability to execute it. Incredible. Cool. Um, and one other thing as well, I think uh, many people have probably read it or have it on their reading list is the Lean Startup. Um, yeah. It's a great methodology and I, I think probably almost every company nowadays is probably using it. Um, but it's so important when you actually read these things to actually to do it. Yes. Um, don't read it, don't make notes and then sort of half do it. Really try and stick to the, those sort of things. So they're great uh, methodologies. And if you can stick to it sort of pretty accurately, it helps tremendously. So a huge thank you to Easy Guide for speaking to us. You can find them online at easyguide.biz or follow them on Instagram at easy underscore guide. You're listening to the Digital Spaceship Podcast, a marketing journal by Blue Drop Studio, a digital marketing and creative content agency based in London, UK. We're on a mission to grow the tech brands of tomorrow with creative content and social media advertising. Check us out on LinkedIn and bluedropstudio.com or hit us up on social at heybluedrop on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Your hosts are at Anna Rowinska and at Omar K. Juman. If you want to talk about digital marketing for your brand, drop us a line at hello at bluedropstudio.com. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you in the next episode.